Whose fault was the brawl at the end of the Super Bowl? That was all of our fault. I think everybody was just mad, you know. Like, it's not my fault. I don't know. I just always wanted to punch Gronk in the face. I just, he's a, I ahead. think he's a great guy, actually. But then the time I had the chance to punch Gronk. Not the summer any of us planned or imagined, but it's the summer we got. So I hope everybody's making the best of it, staying safe, having some fun. I'm up in Montana. I've been using some of my time to check out my tree dashers from all birds. So fishing, check. Boating, check. Jet ski, check. Hiking, definitely a check. I knew that in uh, in Virginia. And out here, the terrain's a little little bit different, but still, same quality shoe. I'm even giving them a big old check for barbecue maintenance and uh, monitoring, something I do really well at times, and sometimes I fall short. Uh, they're light. They're tough. They're great. Uh, they look great. Again, look good, feel good, play good. A fantastic athletic shoe, and I am so happy to be involved with Allbirds. They're our sponsor. They're a great sponsor, and I've loved working with them. Check out the Tree Dashers at allbirds.com. Happy Friday, everybody. About a week ago, Mike Bennett retired. So naturally, I figured I was probably in the front of the line when it came to landing an interview uh, as a former teammate. And he kept his word. So we got Mike Bennett on today. Uh, Also later in the pod, Dragonfly Jones of Twitter fame. Great account to follow. Also really knowledgeable and stands out in NBA Twitter, which is hard to do because that is a cynical miserable place uh and his tweets are great he's also a good podcaster jenkins and jones is the podcast um but we had two games and it was good to hear kevin harlan's voice and first you'll hear from uh mike but after that dragonfly jones aka tyler so it is a pleasure an honor this is two times i've had my guy on the newly retired washed up but hey like i can go out there right now and play great football but we're washed up now because we're not playing anymore. We, we, we're not playing by choice. There's a lot of people in the league right now that is, even at our age, people will say they're all-stars if they get six sacks or seven sacks, but we get seven sacks and 20 TFLs and 30 quarterback hits. People are like, oh, what's wrong with these guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're old. They're old, but it's just like, you know how it is in the league. I, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about being out, honestly. Yeah, I know you are. We talked about it a lot. And like, um, you kind of did it low key. You posted on IG. I know you had an uh, article in the New Yorker. You talked about something in your Instagram caption that I think was really poignant, um, depending on how you look at it. It's not a sad thing, but it's the death of self. I think it's actually a good thing. What did you mean by that? I mean that like the death of ego. You know, I think when you're in the league and NFL, you create this ego about yourself and you kind of have this. Um, you create this whole self, this whole image about yourself that like at some point that the image doesn't have the same value because you're not attached to the NFL anymore, but you get to recreate who you really are. You know, this is what your really passions are, what you really, what you really love. And I think sometimes, you know, fans put like these stigmas on players and they create images for players. But I feel like it's kind of, and there's also a death to something that you've been a part of for a long period of time. It's not like a, a physical death, but it feels like almost like a spiritual um, deaf, you know, like you 
you disconnecting from something that has been a part of your life for a long period of time. So it does feel like kind of a death to yourself in that sense. But it's also like a rebirth to like really figure out exactly what you really want to do. What's your true purpose? And I think sometimes you get a purpose misconstrued with, with our sport or our job and we slowly start to lose our identity. And I think this is an opportunity to, you know, reimagine what I can be or what I can do and not really focus on this thing that's been a part of my life. Like this is the first August that I'm ever going to be home in my whole life. Like Dude. I've never been, I've never been home in August. Bro, August. what the like, fuck is August? I had no idea until I retired. <laughs> August was like just this month that only existed on a calendar. It just was just pointless. I've never been to anybody's house on Christmas. I've never been to Thanksgiving. Like I've, it's like nothing's, I've always been, like I've never been a part of any of those things because I've been in the league for so long. Like, you know, I was, I was like, what is the weather like where I live? I might not even like where I live at now because I'm probably usually here in the spring. <laughs> oh, I need to move. <laughs> it's pretty cool because, like, I remember sitting down last Thanksgiving with my two brothers and we hadn't been able to really spend it as a family. And I was watching your house, I think, on TV. Uh, but it's just like, it's just different, man. Like, you, it's just this whole world is freed up. And I think the best way I did, I think what you said about the ego is so true because that's people ask me, what's the biggest thing about retirement? I said, number one, you, you, you learn to manage your ego, you reshape it. And the misnomer is that, like, you can't get rid of your ego. Technically speaking, everybody has an ego. It's just, is it healthy or not? In football, you, there's a sense of you that died, but it also kind of teaches you teamwork. And I think, a lot of times I just had this conversation with me, Bane, about players or whatever. And we were talking about, he was just saying like, oh, well, this, he was talking about this one team that was really, has really good players. I'm not going to say the team name. And I was like, man, but they're consistently 5-11. and 11. How can you tell me that those guys hmm. are top players in the league when it's harder for them to win? And then you don't really learn how to win until you become a team. And I think that's the thing I look forward to is that I feel like a lot of times when you don't, when you aren't part of the team and you become, and you, we're a part of team and you never really kind of got used to being on a team and then you go home and you really not don't want to be on team with your wife and your kids. And then, <laughs> then I feel like that's where the drama starts to happen. But I feel like if you were able to like start to control your ego and kind of like start to really work as a team and didn't see team as an issue, like it just makes being home a lot easier because it's like you are a part of something that's bigger than you that requires you to drop your ego. And I think sometimes you want to be like, especially as a husband who's made a lot of money or something, you're like, well, I made the money, so I get to do all the decisions. And it's like, that's not how this shit works. You know what no, I'm saying? And I think no. sometimes we forget about that. It is a team. And like, Lord knows my wife, Meg, and I, and you know Meg, she's a college athlete. So we're both competitors. And sometimes in a marriage, you compete unknowingly for control of the decision making or whatever. And I think that like, it's very true. If you can, football can be a detriment to your home life or it can enhance your home life because true, true, true. you can be so thankful when you get home. And I like to say that by the time I had kids later in my career, I don't know what it would have been like being two and 14 and coming home every day in St. Louis. If I had kids, thank goodness I didn't. But like, by the time I had kids later in my career, I really felt like he was ready. I came home and I was happy. I had perspective. And also I had learned a lot from football that allowed me to, like you're saying, be a better teammate. But you talk about being a teammate off the cuff here. I really think there's a, like, when we went to school, they never, they didn't offer credits for playing football. And they don't now. I think they should because I think that the things you learn on a team, the ultimate team sport, football, hold some academic value do you think that that teamwork can can fall under the academic umbrella like things we learn in football can count yeah i think sometimes people like with 
also it's two things, right? I think it's like, cause that's a complex question too, because it's like, I also feel like there's some art in that too. Like there's some art in, in that too, in football. Then I feel like there's a, this intellectual part of it that people like to downplay about football. And to yes. think that it is, so you look at Bill Belichick and you think like, man, this guy is intellectual. Look at the way that he handles the game. Look how he think of, thinks about football. Look at his way that he has his perspective about, look at, he's a historian about it. And the way that, you have to be able to maneuver pieces. I think there's a highly intellectual component to sports that people tend to look over. And we think about Tom Brady, we think that cerebral, like this is cerebral the way that he is. It's obvious that he's an intellectual when we think about the way that he's playing the game. Russell Wilson, the way to time up to run in a circle, to come back around to throw the ball. Yes. There's some there's some art and it's art to it too. So I think it should have But you can get credits for art too. And you we celebrate the when we should, but like we celebrate the arts. We celebrate, you know, intellect. We celebrate the historian aspect of anything. And to your point, like, I feel like with players, there's a whole crowd that discounts all the brain power that it takes to do what we did and the, the social skills and the teamwork and the things that like really translate into corporate America, into working with your family and, and you know, being a part of a team. And that's why I think I think it's just like, you know, for a lot of NFL players are just recalibrating those skills to fit into the new thing that they're trying to trying to attempt. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. sometimes like we just, that's all we need is because we have all the components to be a great worker. We have teamwork. We have commitment. We have hard work. We have dedication. We have love. We have passion. We have, so those are things that if any job that you have those and you, you are enthusiastic about it. And I think those are things that each employer is looking for somebody like that. A lot of times yeah. people have those jobs and they lack those skills. So, I don't know. I feel that, you know, people overlook the intellectual part of, of sport. What part of that does football stunt, though? Because football does stunt certain things in your growth. I think football stunts, like, growth. It's, like, almost like you become, like, a hermit of something. Like, you become a student of this thing, but it doesn't allow you to grow into other parts of your life. I think, like, it teaches you how to, to think at a high level and do all these different things. But it also, people also put athletes in a tunnel the whole way through life. And I think... At the end of that tunnel, sometimes and when you get out, it's overwhelming because that tunnel was shut. It was covering you from all the things that really that you need to have in life to be successful. And I think when you come out at the end of your career, a lot of people have a lot of time, hard time being successful because they've been sheltered from so much. Their finances sheltered from so many different things. And now it's at the end. It's like, oh, my God, like, wait, I thought I had two million. I only got five hundred thousand like this, like those kind of things that happen to people all yeah. the time, you know, every single day. And then also when I think when you play football, you are so you're grinding so hard year round, like even in your off season, your free time, like say you get your biggest chunk of free time right before camp. It's like a three week period. I don't enjoy mm -hmm. that time. I can't I can't get away. I can't grow. I can't truly be present because I have a dark cloud over my head. That's it's called training camp. So like yeah. there's never a time that, you know, and, and I realized this when I retired, there's never a time that you've been able to comprehensively work on yourself. There are things that you realize and learn about yourself that you did not learn in the first 35 years of your life, the 34 years of your life. So I think it's cool. I mean, it, it's, it, it is what you make it, but what one thing you said about you and me, we decided when to get out and there's guys that don't get, they, they don't make that decision. And I feel like that yeah. really can, can hamper the whole process because they're angry and they're looking yeah, back. That's why I said in my post, you know, I said peace because peace is that peace is something like that. People, you know, this is what the world fights for. It is peace. You know, when you can mm. have peace, peace within yourself, it allows you not to have any regrets. And I can say, like, literally, like, I still know a lot of guys, like, 
they want to be done, but it's like they have so many regrets. It's like, I don't have any regrets. It's like, man, I did everything that you could possibly do in NFL. So it's like, you know, at some point, I feel like you being a little greedy and, and seeing how things are unfolding, it just makes your decision a lot easier in life, I think. But I think a lot of guys are stuck with not having a choice to retire, not having those choices. And it just makes you live with regret. And it's like, what if I would have had one more sack? What, what if I would have had one more chance? Like, baby, you know what I could have done? And it's like, I don't do that. I wake up and be like, oh, damn, Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm, another day I woke up, God, I, yeah. know I was going to make it tomorrow. Yeah, and you got, I mean, like, you got 11 years in and um, obviously three Pro Bowls, uh, 69 and a half sacks, a bunch of TFLs. That number really popped off the screen when I look at you're my boy and we competed against each other for years. But, you know, to look at some of the numbers, I was just very proud of you as a friend and as somebody who competed against you. So I think the number one thing is you want to be respected when you get out. And that's you know? what I think. I think that's for me, that was the thing that I felt, you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, like, I felt that in the NFL, like you have to compromise a lot of times when, when it comes to your identity or, or compromise when it comes to your belief system. But for me, I feel like I always stay true to that. And I think mm. I've got a lot of respect around the league because of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's a guy that never really compromised his character into the, into the situation, like for anybody. Like, and so people like you and people like that, like I respect those type of people because I know like how you didn't compromise regardless of what happened. Like if right. we could talk about, like we could just say like taking a knee or talking about political protests or talking about like or having speaking like, out or just, you know, weighing it, weighing the fuck in. Because here's a white guy, like, right. Like everybody was looking for, everybody thought the white guy was going to be like, there's Aaron Rodgers or Joe Montana. <laughs> and here's this guy who's like, he's a defensive end to me. And it, it makes a lot of sense too. When I come back and I start to think about, I'm like hey, a white defensive end, like, if anybody spent a lot of time with black people, it's a white because of it. Hey, we joke all the time. I'm like, the one place it's not good to be a white guy in the entire country is a defensive line room. <laughs> you have respect for people like you, and just and that's the thing you really want in the league: respect for how you play on the field, and then also respect for how you carried yourself off the field. Because we we see a lot of guys who did great on the field, but if we talk about them as individuals and persons and how they were, people hated them. It's like. You don't want to be that guy that was good yeah. at football. People talk about him and be like, man, that guy was an asshole. Yeah, you know what the biggest fear I could ever have would be like that I didn't know my teammates hated me. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. yeah and also the respect thing you mentioned is so true because fans don't know, and I don't blame them. They, they're not in the locker room with guys. Like, we don't tear each other down. You know, that's kind of like seems to be an unspoken code, which sometimes I disagree with. When a guy's wrong, you got to call him out and whatnot. But yeah. We don't tear each other down as a league. And so you're not going to just volunteer that somebody's actually a shithead. Like nobody's going to know that. Just the players know. So, like the real ones know, the players know who's who, who stands by their shit and who played the, the game the right way. So that's what and you it's know. crazy though. Cause me and my brother talk about this all the time. It's like, there's like, you know, there's so much fakeness and there's so much like, I hate that I, I hate that I grew up in the, in the, the, this situation where branding was so important. It was more important than actual integrity and dignity. It was like, how did you brand yourself to have that? And I feel like you have so many people in the NFL who have these brands that people fall in love with, but they aren't truly who they say they are. They truly don't have the integrity. And I think, like you said, a lot of people, a lot of people you think people love, but they don't, they don't spend no time with their teammates. And I think like on D-line, it, it was like, you have to spend time with your teammates. That's the only thing you could do. And it's like, you know, and it's just it's just a different feeling. It's just a whole nother vibe. I mean, 
And and so I don't know. It's just different when you are a part of something like that. You know? That branding thing is a trap. And I know it makes some guys money, but you know what else makes people money? Authenticity. Now, the only yeah. thing, the only reason you'd be afraid of being authentic is if you're actually just a fraud. But like, <laughs> I, I like, no, I, I get that like you want to protect your wallet. And I've never been a guy that like signed huge endorsements or whatever. So I, I don't know if I would turn certain things down, but I'm always, I feel like, if you are yourself, you don't have to worry about your brand. You know, like it's like telling a lie. Once you tell a lie, you have to always look over your shoulder and be like, am I covering my tracks? Am I, am I corroborating yeah. that story with my actions and who I, if you just are yourself, it's way easier. And actually believe it or not, fans like you. They do. And I think that's the thing that, that's the thing I enjoyed about Philly. Like people, I was like, Oh, I was like, man, I love I love the city of Philly because it's just raw and real. Like raw. I, don't get me wrong. Like like I love Seattle. Like people like oh it's like but you can love you can love another city. And I think like Philly to me it was just like Seattle is like a great city, but Philly to me is just like it was just raw and gritty and, and it was like unpredictable. But at the same time, it was just real. You know what I'm saying? Like the fans, like they they'll call your ass out and say what they want to mm -hmm. say about you. And mm -hmm. I got a lot of shit for the saying about Nick Foles shit on your iPad. On on Did your you show. really? Yeah, all I see is people talking about that shit. That shit you love funny. to just stir shit up, though. So my question to you would be, because I've known you since we got in the league, and a lot of people forget that you were even in Seattle for that first stint. And I watched you in Tampa and fell in love with your game. I mean, I'd watch those years where, because I was in the same boat. Nobody's watching us. Uh, yeah. Now, I was a high pick and that sort of thing, but nobody gave a fuck about the Bucks or the Rams. So I appreciated how undervalued you were and, you know, just watching you kind of grow into this guy that was like a face of a franchise. If you look back and you're the retired Michael Bennett sitting here today and you run into the guy who had just signed with the Bucks, you know, 23-year-old Michael Bennett, do you like that guy? What do you think of that guy? What are you going to tell I, him? I, I tell that guy. I, I, was, I mean, I like that guy. I think that guy was, was a really hungry guy. I would just tell him to stay humble the whole time and stay hungry. I think even though I stayed hungry and humble the whole time, I would just always tell myself that because that's how I feel like I got to the league is that I always stay hungry. I always stay gritty. And I, and I always tell myself and I would tell other rookies too, like find a vet, like people like look at people and see competition and be like, Oh, I can't have a teammate for me. Like I, I used to love being in the room with great, great defense alignment to learn from. So being a student of the game is something that I've always loved to do. Like, you know, when me and you used to stay back, like the whole D line leave, and we're like, man, let's watch 45 minutes or let's watch 20 minutes. <laughs> just sit 30 there. minutes. It's just because it was just fun talking football and like seeing where you see in the game. And I'm like, I didn't see that. You know what I'm saying? But, and like, yeah. so I always say, continue to young players be students of the game because I hear so many young guys saying, oh, I don't watch film. And I'm just like, what's like, that's not like a good thing to say. Like, that's no, like you shouldn't say that read. out loud. You shouldn't <laughs> that's say like saying I don't read. Like, I'm like, you don't read. Like, <laughs> But so it's like, I, I would say, man, tell myself to continue to be a student of the game. And that's the thing I love. And I think I could tell myself to always take risks. I think sometimes in the NFL, we're scared to take those risks on certain plays. And we end up not making the plays we're supposed to make because we're just so risky. Like, trust yourself. Like, trust your study. Trust your habits and know that, you know, that you can do what you can do. Who, who really pushed you over the, the finish line and making this decision? I remember how afraid I was, even though I fantasized about retirement. You know how much I talked about it. All we did we was did. talk about it. I can't wait to be done with this shit. But we like, love the game, though. We, actually, we, we, we love Sunday. Yeah. 
And then we love we love the moments like you know where you go out to eat, you, me, Fletch, BG, whoever, and you know like BG didn't come. He's BG so didn't come man. sometimes. <laughs> Haloti did. I still talk to Haloti, man. He's but about to have a big yeah, big H. But yeah, I mean, like I needed a little bit of nudging. Like for me, it was all right, I know I want to do this, but I got to have a, I had a party and I invited like 15, 20 of my closest friends. I told them what it was about. And I said, like, I'm posting it during the party because I knew that I might be too chicken shit if I didn't put it out there. And there was no going back once everybody showed up my house with balloons and shit. For you, did anybody nudge you over the line? No, actually, I told the Cowboys at the end of the season, like our last game against the Redskins, I was pretty told most told the whole D line and the whole defense that, but this is my last game in the NFL. I, you know, I don't, I think I just want to, I just had a whole conversation to the young players and kind of just told them how much I love the game. And just some, you know, it's hard to walk away from something that you love, but you have to know that your health is more important. And I just kind of told the D line that I just told the whole defense that. And for me, that was, that was pretty much the turning moment for me. I knew if I said it to them, if I was able to muster those words in front of that D line and tell them that I respected them because man, I love Robert Quinn, like saying, telling talking to them and just having that conversation with them and hearing, you know, my teammates being like, man, I am hope we can get to that point too. So I think it's just, like you said, you kind of get to the realization that you know, like, man, I'm at a good health part. You know what I'm saying? I, like the thing my wife asked me yesterday, she was like, what are you looking forward to being doing this off season? And I was like, I mean, being doing this season, I said to be healthy. Right. Cause it's always like when you play, when you play the game, the way that me, you play the game. Like there's a lot of people who play the game, not to get off the question. But nobody really nudged me. I kind of nudged myself. I kind of talked to like uh, I was talking to Brene Brown about um, about retirement, and and then and then I was kind of texting back with her about it, and we kind of talked about I was telling about her new documentary that she had on on Netflix, and she was saying some powerful stuff in there, and and I was talking about it, and I said, you know, what? I'm gonna have the courage to do the same thing, you know what I mean, to really take that step that you know was right, but. Um, that's pretty much it. But it wasn't nobody really much. It was just like I talked to a couple of people and wasn't really about like helping me make a decision. It was just hearing some stuff that they said. It was like, that's so true. And applying that to my life. It's just crazy though when you do hit send because you think about that day for years. I've thought about retirement because I've grappled with, I know I'm not just a football player. I got to live another 50 years, maybe more. Now this science shit is coming out that says we might live to 150. I don't know. Yeah, white people used to live longer than everybody else, so you got, you got a good, <laughs> you get a good extra ten years. You talk about life privilege. <laughs> hey, so so that begs the question then, because I did read that article as a tangent. They're saying 150 is within reach. Do you even want to live to 150? I mean, 150. If I'm healthy enough, like it depends too. Because I mean, I believe, like you said, science is going to be real different. You might be, you might get to the point where you get. In the next couple of years, where fifty, you get to stay looking the same as one hundred and fifty. What was that one thing that we had? That one. Oh, show? bro, I'm more jacked than I've ever been at thirty five. Right. Oh now. yeah, I do think you know, one hundred fifty. Long as you feel good and you're not at the point where you feel like you like a vegetable and you're trying to stay alive just to be staying alive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If I but, can look like the Nugenic guy at one fifty, I'm down. I'm down. The only problem is if everybody lives to one hundred fifty, we can barely. We can barely make it work for everybody on Earth right now. Think about how many people are going to be alive. Uh, Elon, that's why they're going to space now. What planet are you eyeing up? I don't know. It's, I can't see them. I can't see a planet where black people are allowed at right now. Because Listen, dude, Earth, we had a black Earth, astronomer on yesterday. Black Earth, Earth is Last already week. hard enough. Earth is already hard enough for black people. Just imagine space, like talking about segregation, but like. 
But I was actually, you know, the funny part that you said that, though, I was actually talking to my wife because I was saying, like, damn, like, there's some people in this world that's, like, they spend up $50 million to go to space. I was like, if I had if I had that type of money, I would just go to space and then put on my Instagram and never put anything else on there. I would just keep reposting that every day. Yeah, like, one oh, you post. Did yeah. You did what? You didn't go to fucking space. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, you got you didn't go to space, man. I was in space. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll Yeah, it's the ultimate like- Trump card. Like, you can win any <laughs> argument. Would you play this year if you were still? No, I wouldn't play. I think you see a lot of guys. I was so surprised that guys were opting out. I couldn't believe some of the like Dante Hightower. Like, I know you mean you both know how like like he's one of the most team team guys that you can he's possibly a machine, dude. Yeah, he's like one of the best players that people don't talk about in the oh NFL. Oh my god, he's so good. Yeah, and uh, he's not a great pass rusher, but he he does some good moves. But overall, football player for a backer, though, I mean, for a guy who played like you, you show me a backer who can play inside and rush the edge the way he rushes it. Yeah, I think no, I think he's a good up player. there. I think yeah. I think he's one of I think he's one of like I said I think he's one of the best players that like I've been around. Who are the best leaders you had been around on our side of the ball? Offensively, I I will start offensively. Yeah, go with the offense first. I think Russell Wilson, uh, Doug Baldwin. Doug's uh, great. I actually like Jason Peters. I thought Jason Peters was a good leader. Whenever he like he would open his, he always said things at the right time. Like it was never like the wrong. It's like he didn't say much, but when he did say it, it was like, damn, we needed to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Like the gravity of somebody who's that great and still playing and has so much experience. And I think he's like a football lifer. He knows so much. He could easily coach the O line better than twenty seven out of the thirty two coaches at that position. He's pretty awesome. What, so the Russell thing, he's a great leader. That thing was kind of blown out of proportion in Seattle, like a locker room divided and shit like that. No, that was blown out of proportion. I think any great team, people are going to say like, which I think a lot of times the media wanted us to be there because I mean, I mean, contrarily, I mean, if Russell was playing at the way he's playing right now with that defense, we probably would have won like one four Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, because our defense was like, I was telling, I was telling Cuff, I'm like, bro, we went to games winning. We really go to three overtimes with it. I mean, to overtime, the score being three to six, like fuck, like like hardcore defense. And I, that's why I should love playing the Rams. But uh, but um, Russell was a great leader. I think he was. He, <laughs> yeah. he, 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 he I never, used to get buckets he, against you guys, but we never got wins. Russell's a great leader. Doug Baldwin, Jason Peters. Uh, I thought Julian Elliman was a good leader when I was in um, with the Patriots. Yeah, Jules is a hell of a player and a really good, really good teammate. Too. Um, I think, uh, of course, Tom Brady. Defensively, I would say, I definitely say higher tire. Even though yeah. Devin McCourty get on my fucking nerves, he is a good leader. <laughs> he's a great uh, leader. Yeah, he's great. I can't even lie. He get on my fucking nerves, but he's great. I think Cam Chancellor. Uh, Richard Sherman, like any all the guys on Seattle was really great. Yeah, the, you Philly, had a lot of leadership leadership there. And Philly on defense, oh Sean Lee, man, I, Sean Lee was one of my favorite. I still talk to Sean Lee. That was one of my really? favorite people who ever played in the league. Great leader, great guy, great team players player. Um, everything that people said about him was true. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, let me see, Philly. I'm trying to think of Philly because I, I was trying to think outside of D line. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's uh, – I think Jink is a great leader. I think, yeah. but he's always – it's always like, I don't know. Jink is a great leader, but – He's know. quiet. That's the thing that some guys don't understand is like Malk is just going to go under the radar for most of it until he explodes. Yeah, yeah. He, I thought you was a great leader. I thought uh, 
that's that's pretty much all. Oh yeah, the, oh Rondé Barber. I forgot. I didn't even go back to Tampa. Jerry McCoy is a great leader. Rondé Barber. Golly, man, it's funny as you because you're with the Tupu. You're one of the best players I've ever seen that had a lot of stops because early on you you had Seattle, Tampa, then Seattle again, and then towards the end there was a flurry of new destinations. Do you regret that last year, like playing? No, I regret leaving Philly though. It was like one of those things where it was like, I don't know. I feel like I, I could have stayed, but then it was kind of like, uh, I just didn't like the idea of not being, not having an opportunity to compete. I didn't like that part. But um, no, nah, I think I learned a lot with the Patriots. I think I learned a lot about football being with the Patriots. I mean, I didn't like the, I mean, they switched the defense. That's what made it hard. In Philly. I mean, in yeah, the yeah, we talk about this all the time. First, they was going to run 4-3, but then they decided to do like a 3-4. And like I was like the way that they run the one and three four isn't the typical the way that how JJ Watt like you get to go free it was more like you holding people kind of thing. I didn't have a ring at the like when you were in New England you already had your ring and like for me I was like I'm here to try to win a ring so whatever I got to do I'll do it you know and and even though the scheme didn't agree with me either I know that we talked about this before it's like our first couple games there when I was in New England I was like damn we're running a four three I'm even playing some left end and that sort of thing but then they switched the whole game up. Yeah, that was so – but, no, nah, I think at the end, though, I feel like Philly was great. I had a great year in Philly. I mean, there was a lot of people that wanted me to come play for them after, after the year in Philly. I think Philly was just like, oh, here's a guy. They, I mean, they. I don't think they knew that we was going to put them type of stats up, especially that, you know, me and you going yeah. out there. I didn't think they did – I don't know if they knew, be, like, that we was going to gel like that. Like, me, like they thought – it was like, oh, maybe, but then, like, you know, they never really thought that, you know, they thought that one of us would be out, then Derek Barnett got hurt, and then we kind of just right. We kind of went dumb out there. We was kind of killing out there, honestly, huh? Yeah, and, like uh, the old folks' home that was jumping. <laughs> yeah, like we started because <laughs> at the beginning it was like <laughs> we was you so rushing from different styles that towards uh, the, like like in the middle of the season it was like okay now we know how each other rush like yeah because at first I was like get, I was like get the fuck down, bro. Like move <laughs> into a real three technique. I used to joke. I told people this. I said, you need to write a book called What Makes uh, White Pass Rushers Uncomfortable. I know, bro. But it, but it took, but we started like, we started clicking, though, me and you yeah. and Fletch. Because me and Fletch on the inside, we just started going like we were two D tackles, really, that mm-hmm. put up 20, 20 sacks, you know, 21 yeah. sacks. Mm-hmm. And then me, you on the left side, we had 30-something 30, 30 TFLs, 50 quarterback hits, like yeah. 16 we, sacks. We, we like. had a lot of, yep, we had a lot of hits. So, so before we move on to everything else post-football, give me – and the grab bag here. Give me uh I want to play a quick game with you here. Word association. One word for each de- each destination that you played in the NFL at. So we'll start with Tampa because I'm not going to count Seattle until the second stop. Tampa. I would say dil- diligent. It was diligent. I'll say diligent. diligent. It took me like, yeah, it was a lot of like I had to be patient. I had, you know what I'm saying? So I had to be so dil- diligent was something that I would say. About Seattle, the longest stop. Euphoric. Yeah, you had to just that that crowd had to just get you drunk every game. It did. Philly. I mean that that crowd in Seattle was like crazy because I don't know. It was just one of those things. Like it just felt euphoric when you go out there. It's like you was floating almost. And some of the games we played in, some of the people that I met, it felt like a lifetime. Yeah, great culture up there, man. How about Philly? Oh, Philly. <laughs> Philly. It's a weird gritty, year. Dude. Gritty. Gritty. I feel gritty. like that whole season was gritty. It was like we, like I was telling somebody not to go off track, but I was telling somebody about that first time we went to New Orleans and they just oh. whooped our ass, boy. They whooped <laughs> us, boy. They whooped us thoroughly, bro. Oh and my! I said, 
I said that second time, we were like, man, fuck that. We about to whoop they fucking ass. If Flesh don't get hurt and you don't get hurt a little bit, I think we I think we pull off that one. And yeah, listen, here, here's the deal, bro. It that first game down there, I think we were dead. I think we were we were run down. We had so many injuries and guys were just dead. And honestly, I thought we just did everything better the second game from the top to the bottom, coaching, playing, the whole thing. But I, I just remember, you're not supposed to get beat 48-7 to in the NFL. And that's not something you're really used to with your history. Like, I had a little bit more experience of it. But it's almost worse when I'm like, man, I know this feeling. And this is just, I never thought I'd feel it again. But those oysters still tasted fucking good out of the bus. They did. Those oysters taste great. Oh, but so I think that's it. That's that was a greedy season. Because um, we should have. I mean, like, listen, I don't like doing the shit of thing. And I, I don't I never liked it when when New Orleans, like some of those players were like, oh, if we'd have beaten Minnesota, we'd have beat the, the Eagles. This was the year before you got there. No, they wouldn't. No, they no. wouldn't. And that's not how it works. Uh, it's just not how it fucking works. But I do feel like we, you know, we went toe to toe in a lot of ways. We outplayed them, but they ended up with the win because we you know, Sean Payton had that ballsy fake punt, mm-hmm. that fourth down in the red zone. You know, Brooks got hurt. That was a big deal. So listen, while they won it fair and square, it, it felt like, you know, night and day between the first game and the second. Yeah, yeah. New England, give me one word. Humbling. It was humbling and it was stimulating at the same time. Humbling and stimulating. Two word alert for for Michael Bennett in New England. Dallas. Oh, raunchy. <laughs> what do you mean, raunchy? I don't know. It was just like, I don't know. It was just, just a different thing. It was just. Excess? No, I'm just saying, like, it was just like, I just felt like it was just like, I don't know. It just was different from being in, like, you know, Seattle or Philly and New England. Like, when I say humbling and, and, and stimulate, because it was humbling, like, not getting to play and I do all this stuff, but it was stimulating at the same time to be in that locker room and learn so much about football and to be in such a, like, you know, like just to think about like, like here's a defense that we never did, never stick to the same script to every game. Like every game, literally they're changing. And it's like, damn, I wish I was a linebacker because it should be way better. But at the same time, because so, so it was, it was good in that aspect, but like I said, it was raunchy, but overall, uh, I don't know, top five de- defensive lines that I was on. Top five? Yeah. That's pretty good because you were on some good ones. Was the Seattle defense the best of all time? Yeah, yeah. Best of, and But defensive line-wise, I'll say 2013 and 2016. Hold on. We're, it feels like you're skirting that question. Is Was that Seattle defense you were on the best of all time? I think the Seattle defense is the best of all time. One of the best of all times. And in and, and this decade, I think it was the best in our decade. I think, yeah, that that that's a pretty. I mean, Denver is the other one, right? But yeah, yeah, I think I think us and Denver were the top defensive, and you put Panthers down there at number three, and, and a uh, group that and a group that should have had two two rings. Uh, what do you do? You look back at that, that and you're just what do you feel? But, that, but that's but um, but that's my problem with like a lot of teams right now because I feel like there's a lot of. Like I take the Chargers for example, like they got two rush ins, they got all this stuff, but they seem to under underachieve. You know what I'm saying? And in the sense that they never ever like really get over the hump. They got all this talent in this five and eleven like every year back to back. Well, the secondary is very good, and this year they could they could turn the corner as a team. But they're either going to need Tyrod to play really well, 
in a division that's relatively stacked and an AFC where there's only a few, you know, teams that aren't going to be in the wild card hunt. So, you know, when you talk about the Chargers, because it's funny, there was a mailbag question today, and I guess we're kind of getting to it indirectly, but yeah, their defense is ridiculous. It really is. Uh, but it's ridiculously talent, but they underachieve, you know what I'm saying? And I would say that, like, the thing about, I feel like in Seattle, we didn't have all the first round picks that, like, all these teams got. You know, every year, you know, you think about the Rams, like, okay, let's just talk about D-line drives. You drive Michael Brockers, you drive Aaron Donald, you drive Robert Quinn, you drive Chris Long, like, it wasn't a year. Yeah, we we had William Hayes was there. He wasn't a first rounder, but we had a lot of studs. Now the problem what we had was the offense. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that like so it's different when you're able to take that talent and everybody is able to come together and figure out how to win. And there's no selfishness and no levels. I would contend that there were even more personalities in Seattle. You guys made it work. You yeah. know, I no, I was just gonna say I didn't say I didn't say y'all was selfish. That's all I was saying. I was just saying it's something about like there's a lot of team with a lot of talent. But for some reason, we were able to put it together in a way that just was it required. And we demanded a lot from each other in a way that like nobody took anything personal. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. like like you'll come to somebody and be like, man, stay in your fucking gap. And people will be like, man, what you mean? It's like, nah, I wasn't in my gap. I'll be there next play. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was that type of vibe. And I feel like there's a lot of teams that like a lot of people, a lot of players get a lot of credit for being good players but they don't demand it from their teammates in the level that, you know, when you're on the Patriots, it's demanded that you're in your place every yeah. single time or it's not going to be – or you're not just going to be out there. And I say that's well, better. It doesn't happen. I think often. another thing is the, the, the knowledge as a player that you will be replaced if you're not doing your job. You know, like in New England, you know if you don't do your job, they're going to find the new guy. And that doesn't matter how good you are for the most part. You know, when you play certain places that are trying to get over the hump, they really can't dangle that carrot the way they do, or they can't threaten that uh, outcome the way they do an established program. I think a lot of it comes down to coaching. I mean, you know, coaching and building a culture, and you guys had a really good culture there, it felt like. You know, it felt like, you know, something that's established. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of times, you know, it takes the players to build that kind of culture too, in a way, you know what I'm saying? As players, sometimes we don't look, we don't realize that, we put so much on the coaches that we're like, oh, the culture wasn't good. But it's also like the players. I feel like in New England, you know that the players hold – it's a culture, but it's the players holding that culture. You know, those yeah. players meetings. It's like players taking it onto their own hand, not just leaving up to I, I got a job and I just leave. It's like yeah. they got a job, but they want to achieve the highest of that job, you know. It's like yeah. it's just not a pass or fail type of ratio. It's like we want to get an A. Like we want to be the best. Yeah. And so it's like it's very rare that you run into that. And so I don't know. Yeah, I just think, you know, as we move before we move on to the next topic, you the, the the big difference between the uh the lowly Rams and the Seattle Seahawks was uh three letters, L O B. Um <laughs> so we'll go to the next thing. Uh what about your brother? You guys never got to play with each other. Were you close to going to Chicago in fourteen? I was real close to going to Chicago, man. I was so close, like the thing that really turned me besides my brother was that I was talking to them uh to the, the the damn GM and the defensive the defensive coach and I was like oh man I'm looking forward to being getting a chance to play with Julius Peppers and it was like oh I don't know if Julius Peppers is gonna be here when you get here like you gonna replace him I was like man I ain't going there if Julius Peppers not there right right like I wanted to go with Julius Peppers like I wanted to be like like you know be on a, a 
a good defensive line. Like they was getting rid of everybody. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I might as well stay in the place that established. And like they offered me more money too. But I just stay. I was just like, you know, this is the better team, better situation. If Julius Peppers will stay is there. I probably would have went. What about so so you were never like you don't feel like you missed out not playing with Marty because I don't really feel like I missed out not playing with Kyle. I think a lot of people assume that like. No, it's I think just, it's better that way actually because it's like everybody get to have their own identity. Yeah, because and also it's hard if you're in a locker room like people don't understand. It's hard enough to see your friends get hurt, get cut, get yelled at on the field, get like in the doghouse. Like imagine if you're watching your brother fail and you're succeeding, or vice versa. Like that's really hard to see up close. Like I don't know how I would have been like the years Kyle got hurt in Chicago, you know. I don't know how I would have been able to be. He's my little brother. Like, I don't know how I would have been able to handle that. And I don't know how much that would have distracted me from being like kind of putting that armor on mentally and just saying, I don't give a fuck about anything but getting my job done. Exactly. And that's hard to do when you, when you like you said, when your brother and everything's not working out. But like you said, it allows us because as brothers, we can spend so much time together already. So, you know, having an opportunity to build who you are as a character. And it's always good that when, some people, when people talk about your brother and they talk about you, him and what he's doing, or what, what it just makes you feel good because you're like, oh, that's my brother. He was respected. So that's really good. Whose fault was the brawl at the end of the Super Bowl? That was all of our fault. I think everybody was just mad. You know, like, it's not my fault. <laughs> Are you I, mean, still I, was, I was just wanting to punch. Was Gronk that the right call at the goal line? I don't know. I just always wanted to punch Gronk in the face. I just I just feel like Gronk got away with so much stuff that other people in the NFL couldn't get away from it. I think I was a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't get away with shit. No, not like him. Like uh, he, he doing he said some stuff. He'd be like, Did he just say that? Can he do <laughs> he just he had a damn a boat for, for a romance boat where people were like just yeah. like all kinds of stuff. Like some of the stuff he did, you like, how did he even how did that Okay, how did they even come to the conversation? Like, you know, what's like, funny to me. He was actually a model citizen as a teammate. He never partied. You know, he was always diligent and studious. And I think the the image with Gronk is of just this big meatball. You yeah. know, just doesn't have a thought in his head, and he's just a party animal and that sort of thing. Like, in my experience in Foxborough, because I was, you know, I showed up right before camp and I left afterwards. You know, uh, he was pretty. He was pretty under the radar. He's a, I think he's a great guy, actually. But I just thought he just. So at the end of the time, I had the chance to punch Gronk. I was just like, let me get, let me get that. <laughs> I had to take advantage. He does not make how you get to punch Gronk. Yeah, yeah how many it. times I get to punch him? <laughs> okay, my grab bag here, and then we'll get out of here. Mike, why do we pray before football games? Does God care who wins? I don't know. I actually think people say politics and religion. Politics and sports shouldn't be mixed. I actually think religion and sports shouldn't be mixed because I don't think anything about football is godly. And I always got, I always thought that, like, you know, it, it was almost like, it almost felt sometimes just being like, why are we praying right now? Because it's like, you're going to cut this man or you're going to get rid of him. They, it's just such a dirty game to have people do you in the league. It's mm-hmm. like, but I was like, I don't think God wants anything to do with this business. Also, this like, just, also, are we more in favor of our creator because we played this really arbitrary sport well like just because it's very popular that praise is like is man given so i don't feel like as somebody who believes in god and a higher power 
if he's looking down, do you really think he's like checking the line on, you know, Chiefs Jaguars? He doesn't care who wins. He or she does not care who wins. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I always thought that too. Dude, that's a good question. Whoever asked that question because I it never. Oh, that was me. Oh, that was your question. Okay, this, yeah. yeah. Well, great question from you because yeah, I always thought like, man, there's like, nothing that we have. There's nothing about what we're doing in here is godly. Like everything, everything we do in there just be like, how's this? Dude? So y'all gonna break? You know, some of the stuff that you see in the NFL, like when guys get hurt and the team are like, yeah, come out to practice, man. We can't wait to see you get out there. We love you. You want the best dude. Like we can't win this game without you. Do is hurrying up, getting ready in there, stretching his knee, coming back from injury early. As soon as he get done with practice, he make he can't even make it to the water thing, and they already like, they cut him. Yeah, yeah, they get you out there to play, and then and also, I mean, like shit. I played in a hundred straight games in St. Louis, was a team captain, got hurt, and I could feel the eyeballs on me pretty quickly. Like all of a sudden, like I'm some injury liability. You know what I mean? And they get you out there to play. They're like, we're not going to hold it against you. If you're listening and you're an NFL player, don't believe that shit. They'll always hold it against you. And oh, they always hold that shit against you. Good luck with not being that shit holding against you because that's the end of it when they hold it against you, though. Please, if you're a player, protect yourself, man. We, Me and Chris can tell you numerous of guys that you won't know them because you can't know them because they got cut. <laughs> because they didn't, We can't bring them up to you because we've seen it so many times where guys that went out there and got cut because they thought that the team had their best interest. We're looking at it right now with COVID-19. You can't tell me that each team cares about the players in a way that, in a way about humanity almost, because they know that people are going to get sick, but they're just saying like, we hope enough. Yeah, not even the players. How about the coaches? The coaches don't have an opportunity to opt out and they're all unhealthy and older. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, that capitalism is, the most important thing in, in in sport, and I think sometimes as a football player, you know, we we kind of we kind of forget that sometimes, and and we end up getting the short end of the stick. It's like people always get mad at the guy who holds out. I can't believe this guy's fucking holding out, man. This guy's holding out. He's not coming to camp. It's like, nah, man, let that man hold hold out. Let him get his capital right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, and and it, it's often always leveraged against you that brotherhood that you talked about and we talked about earlier. The coaches who are going to cut every single motherfucker on that field just. <laughs> If I took a screenshot of it, all 22, all those guys are getting cut or they're going to retire like us if they're lucky on our own terms. But like all those guys are going to get fired and the coaches who are controlling that end zone tape are going to appeal to your sensibilities as a teammate always. And the truth about teammates are we know who's really trying to get back. We know who's, who's, who's milking something and we know who's protecting themselves and we don't judge guys who protect themselves. So. Uh, one great decision you made in your career, the best decision you made in your career. Ooh, best decision that I made in my career. Investing. In what? Yeah, I'm going to say the, some investments that I've made over the time and mm. now coming back and being like, okay, you know, you know. So I think investing, I think a lot of times as players, we mean you talk about it a lot when we were there, like just about like investing and talk about money and different things. But I think that's not a conversation that we have enough in the NFL about financial literacy and being able to invest and make sure and then, you know, you know, far as stocks and things like that, like guys don't want to do that or investing in their future. There aren't a lot of guys doing it. So being able to have that conversation and do that, I think investing was one of the best things I did as a young person. You should check out if you have a chance, because you you do play the the market prestige worldwide. It's a really good stock. Okay. Okay. Check that one out. Um, I am mad about the zoom one though. 
Oh, yeah, that you didn't invest in Zoom. They are just cleaning up. No, when I looked at the beginning of the year, I was like, I and I was like, that jumped and jumped up about quadruple now. Golly, dude. Whoever got on Zoom, I feel like you were insider trading and you knew about this shit. Yeah, like, you know, you took 20000 right now. That jump, it'd be, it'd, you'd make so much money right now. Like, if it was just like 20000 Would you imagine if somebody would put like two or three million in that thing? Like, Man, the- come on. We'd be on Mars. <laughs> we would We would both be on our way to. Gov- the moon but you're right, right though. The government probably would come check us out, though, because they'll be yeah. like, how did you know that? Like, how did you mm-hmm. know that they were going to do it? That's t- textbook insider trading. How about. Uh, the other best thing that I did was go to Seattle. I think that was one of the best yeah, things I ever did yeah. was go to Seattle because I had a chance to go to like some other teams at that time. I had went down to Miami. Actually, Mark Dominic was like, we're not going to franchise you, but we're going to pay you just like a couple million under the franchise. Like it was like, I think the franchise was like 11. And he was like, well, we're going to give you eight or something like that. And I was like, great. I, you know, I'm, I'm how are you going to do that to me? You know what I'm saying? Because I just came out the first and third round tender or whatever. So you almost ended up a dolphin. Yeah, and I was in Miami, and I went down to Miami, and I was like, oh, there's – I knew there was an issue because I was like, wait, is Ken Wade going to play the right side? Because I'm not a right end. Like, yeah, we both we – Although both. I did – I can't lie, I did do good at right end in Philly when I was out there. Yeah, I you would. Like, You'd be like, oh, I can't play right end, and then you go over there and, like, do something really good at right end. And I'd be like, well, stay the fuck over there, could you? <laughs> so we can just, like, ease up this log jam at left end. I mean, we had, like, eight left ends. Jesus. I know. And Old so white guy gets people, the short end of the stick. People didn't understand like left end was like it's like a different, different. position. Like it's, it's like position. right side is like you ninety five on man on the left side. You go to the right side, it's like seventy. Bro, like, I'm telling you, I'm, I was like I was like drunk at right end. Uh, how about best O line battle? Now that you retired, you can talk up O line and you played. Was there one that I you really? Talk, I could talk, man. My top five O linemen that I played against in the league. I start with defensive line, and then I do. I mean, I start offensive line, and then I go defense. Ten offensive linemen that I've ever played against. I don't even say five. I'll say Walter Jones, Carl Nix, Donald Penn when he was going, Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, Tyron Smith. Jake Long was good before he got injured. He was very good. And Zach Martin was good, too. The offensive guards, and then Jabari Evans was really good, too. Yeah, because the guards, I mean, that's where you did a lot of your work, too, was down there. So you got experience and, you know, all up and down the line. So hold on. Let me do my top D line before I go. Okay, that's true. I'm going to do top seven defensive ends and top seven D tackles while I thought I was playing. Okay. Top defensive ends. And I, because I think sometimes with defensive ends, the outside linebackers who play defensive ends on some plays get so much credit. Like Khalil Mack was, this was the, I don't even know if you put his hand down every time, because I feel like, Hand down has to be 80% of the time. We can't be talking about, like, you, you get down 30 40% of the time you're yeah. defensive end. Yeah. So I would say in the decade that I was in the league, I would say I would say you, Rob, Calais Campbell, Cliff, Dwight Freeney. Oh, are you kidding me? Golly. And, and, Jerron, and John Abraham. To me, in the decade, those were the best. And Justin Smith, like, those were the best defensive ends, true defensive ends that played Every time I know they did the all decade team and they just kind of, you know, oh, and JJ Watt, JJ Watt, so I forgot yeah, about JJ. Listen, the, the, you can just slide me out of there, buddy. But I mean, it, as far as true defensive end, there aren't very many left. Is the bro? Point. I would put you. I would put you in the top ten defensive ends of the decade. I well, don't think listen, can, there was there was I a four year say- span where I was I was getting buckets, but I mean, like you know, it's it's uh, it's very nice of you, Mike. It's very nice of you to come on the podcast and do that. 
Oh uh, no, I think I think I for sure think you were the top ten top ten defensive ends of, of our decade. I don't think there was too many guys in our decade that was, you know, as a true defensive end. Like yeah. I don't know, but, yeah, but I don't know. tackles an exercise. Darnell Dawkins, um, I, um, Jerry McCoy, uh, I, Fletch is Fletch is on 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 the bubble for me right now. Fletch is in my top ten. Easy. I'm gonna have to call Fletch. He's gonna he's gonna freak out. Fletch. He's kind of he's. I say Aaron Donald, uh, Sue, um, ooh, the boy, the the oh, the, it was a, it was another guy in uh, Colin Jenkins. And, Colin uh, Jenkins, yeah. Boy, he was nice, bro. Yes, he was. Hand swipe everything. Like he didn't get and um. And oh, I forgot about Aaron Cat. Forgetting but, Gino, uh, Gino Atkins. Gino Atkins. You know who else I forgot though? Real you putting Sue in there. Yeah, you know who I forgot though is really one of the best defensive ends that people didn't really pay attention to. Kind of, you made like two or three Pro Bowls. I forgot. I forgot to say Mario Williams, and I forgot to say Aaron Schobel. Aaron Schobel was Aaron Schobel was the dog. Oh man, Schobel icy because he, my coach coached him in, in college. So that was a guy that I looked at. Aaron Schobel, Julius Peppers, those guys were. Let me give let me give you let me give you one that the in Schobel's neck of the woods there that you forgot Kyle Williams, the D tackle. Yes, I didn't finish that. Of course, he's in. A, he's in. A, he's in there. Yeah, he's, he's in, in there. there. Uh-huh. He's in there. He's in there. He, he definitely in there. Uh, yeah, I did. That's pretty. I can't think of anybody. There was another guy named Williams, the part of the Williams brother who was, um, Corey Williams. I think his name was Corey Williams. He played for a Detroit line in the and um, and the Cleveland Browns. He was good too. Well, I know we're forgetting some people, but that's a pretty, yeah. pretty Cliff good list there. It was great, too. And it's funny because, like, you, me, Cliff were three, quote-unquote, defensive ends, all with very different games, but all, you know, kind of – I felt like in that NFC West, I loved kind of competing with you guys. So, Oh, man, that's that's why I say it. Like, there's some talent about – because when I rank defensive ends, it's kind of hard, too, because a lot of defensive ends, like, they get looked over if they are good – if they're a good overall defense, defense defenders, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like we was one of the people that was just good overall defenders. Like there's some people who are great at pass rush, but you put them out against the run, their liabilities. And I felt like we were yeah. able to do both. And I think there's not a lot of guys that can do both. So before you go, what's next for you, Mike? Man, I don't, I don't know, man. There's so many different things. I mean, I think I, you know, going back to school right now, um, I think just, taking some time off right now. I think some taking some time off to really evaluate that. You know, I think that's important. I think what I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of different players who retired always say they get, they get too busy that they, they just kind of didn't even get a chance to like really reevaluate what they wanted to do because they just jumped in to things to get busy. Then they got so busy that they forgot <laughs> they actually worked. It, it worked against them. So I think I want to spend some time and just kind of keep mapping that out. You still want to do the naked and afraid? I don't mean to. That's the weird question to ask on the podcast, but you. Yeah, me. So naked and afraid. Me and Cliff. I mean, me and me and Chris talked about this all. But the only thing naked and afraid is that we want to wear pants. We'll do everything. We'll do the whole thing because we think that we can survive naked and afraid. If naked and afraid is listening. You take me and Chris and take us over there, but we want to wear pants. But don't take us to like the swamp. I, I want some say over which climate. Yeah, just don't don't do us cold and don't take us to the swamp. But we could do neck in the fray, but not with clothes on. But we always said, man, let's do neck in the fray because we always watch that show and we had real conversations yeah. about it. Yeah. So yeah, so neck in the fray. If y'all listening, if y'all end up listening to the Call podcast, us. 
Call us. We'll do it. But we get, we get to wear pants. We'll be yeah, Speedo. Person. I'll wear a Speedo, dude. I'm, I, I got to wear some boxers, man. I can't wear You can wear a man. box. You can wear boxers. Uh, I got this wolf Speedo that like the mouth of the wolf <laughs> is right down there. It's pretty aggressive. I think it would be perfect for Naked and Afraid. If y'all are listening, just call us. Mike Bennett, 11-year pro, recently retired. Uh, and I can't wait to see what's next. One of my favorites. Congratulations, buddy. Thanks for coming on the pod. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. That was Mike. Uh, let's get Dragonfly Jones on. What's up, Chris? Dude? What's, what's up, up, dog? What's the word, man? Yes, yes. Off much, the man. timeline, onto the screen. For sure, for sure, man. And look at us with the motherfucking the the, the, the bamboo wood shades in the background. Oh shit, dude! You see that shit? We got the same fucking shade. That's what I say. That's that Virginia shit, man. Like we we appreciate fine wood around yeah. this part. Yeah, Virginia. Virginia decor, you know? Yes, sir. Do, do, do people in Richmond go to Farmville to shop for their fucking furniture? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Farmville is Virginia's high point, if any North Carolina people. Yes, are. yes. Yeah, yeah. High yeah. point is like where, where motherfuckers, motherfuckers in North Carolina, you know, North Carolina is a long ass fucking state, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and high point is like, all right, so, so North Carolina is like, you know, yeah. it looks like a, looks like a fucking, like, like a soggy ass, like chicken drumstick bone, right? It's like that, Absolutely. and motherfuckers will come. Yeah, motherfuckers will come. And high points up this way, motherfuckers will come all the way from like fucking Asheville in the corner by Tennessee and shit, all the way up to fucking high point on Four the skinny parts. Yeah, because I used to work at a fucking um uh, furniture warehouse in High Point. I Did you up, really? Hell yeah, dude, dude, my fucking my fucking uh, alumni mug A and T. Motherfucking wait, did you really? Yeah, I I I went to college in Greensboro. I worked at a fucking. Furniture shop at High Point. Well, you know, oh, one yeah. of my best buddies was my longtime teammate of uh, Winston Salem State fame, mm -hmm. William Hayes. He's from High Point, the furniture oh, yeah. center of the of, of the state. Of so the fucking yeah, all that fucking hard cherry wood shit, man. They love hard shit, cherry man. wood shit, dude. Right. Straight old people. But you know what? I do have to give it to Farmville and shout out Farmville for anybody listening. Greenfront is a good spot. They do have some modern shit coming up there. And they've got some nice rugs, some good values. Go see Glenda, okay? For those of y'all listening in need of a rug, you college students bringing COVID back onto campuses, go get hey, you a rug. Hey, well, with a name like Glenda, I know she knows her fucking rugs. She knows that, her. that is a rug lady name, dog. Yes. Glenda? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glenda, sure. Glenda, you're the best. I don't know if you're listening. but so, so, dude, this is a long time coming, but I guess it's a good night to get you on because you had your – your big victory tonight. Christmas. I want to congratulate you, man. Oh, it's 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 Christmas in July. Like whatever the fuck that shit means. Like I saw that. I've seen that shit my whole life for like fucking sales when motherfuckers don't have money. But this shit was really Christmas in July. Like dog, did you see the way that shit ended, man? Yes, dude. Yeah, I, I know. I know your Twitter well enough, and I know your tendencies on NBA Twitter well enough to know that you just you wanted to drop that bomb, and there was no bomb for a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it started yeah, broad, yeah, it was and it was a real ugly game on both parts. You know, yes. people were getting back into it. like if you look at the pump fake that Kawhi did with the game on the line, like it was ugly. He pump faked with his whole upper body, like yeah. and he and he's a dude who moves so fluid, like like this is not hyperbole. When I look at Kawhi and I see his pre-dribble moves, and yes. I, see, I see MJ, bro. I legit yes. see MJ. Yeah, and and and, and on steroids. Yeah, yeah, and that's who fucking Kawhi studied. Like you know, so so this isn't some shit I'm pulling out my ass. But he looks so robotic with that game on the line, dude. Like like if you're pump faking from your pelvis, 
Yeah. You want no, <laughs> no need an adjustment. You need an adjustment. You need a yeah. good gyro there at Disney World. But it makes me feel good that the best fucking athletes in the world get rusty. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's something to to that's to something to take with. away from tonight. right, right, right. Yeah. Because because we see these dudes in just day in and day out, like on fucking December eighteenth, you'll you'll be watching Sports Center at three o'clock and you'll see Russ do a fucking seven twenty from the top of the key. You're like, who? What the yeah. fuck? You're like, who? What the fuck is with these guys? So it it is kind of you know it it does make you realize these dudes are human. Seeing a little yeah, bit it made me feel good, and and the whole thing was was great. I needed Kevin Harlan's voice more than I knew. I he I, he damn near cured the pandemic for me for a minute. And I saw you tweet that Reggie Miller oh, didn't look, even I, annoy I, you tonight. I wasn't even annoyed at Reggie Miller. I was like, I was like, bro, if this is the deal we had to make to get basketball back, yeah, listen to Reggie Miller. That's the deal we just got to make, man. But let's talk the NBA because that's why you're here. This is, this is you basically oh, yeah, got a yeah. four month off season, and now you're playing a, a shorter. Now they they've condensed the games probably slightly. Yeah, the, they're doing they're doing eight seeding games where you know they sort shit out. You know they've got um, twenty two teams there. You know 30, 30 teams in the league, twenty two teams there now. So you know every, there's a few bottom tier teams fighting for the the seven. You know the the eight spot there. Yeah, but it's it's all for jockeying for position right now. So yeah, I just feel much, like they should have wrote in like however they could, and it seems like they maybe were trying to that Zion has to get in the playoffs. He's a he's a star, like. Why would you not want him there, man? Like, but if Memphis pulls it off and they get it there, but you get Jaw then. I mean, you get yeah, Jaw then. Great. I guess, Jaw's like, great. okay, Jaw's so great. this is the would an NBA Twitter person kind of t- you know zig instead of zag on this one? But who would you rather see get get in the playoffs and see them make their debut, Zion or Jaw? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of both those. I hate to be on both sides playing defense, dude, but. I love both of those guys. I feel like both all of those rookies guys. matter. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but I, I feel like Ja does things that, you know, a guy his size doesn't do, you know yeah. what I mean? And I yeah. feel like, and I feel like, um, Zion does things that, holy shit. How does a guy this size do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a different type of appreciation where, where you're marveling at, 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 at six, eight, six, nine, two eighty Zion jumping out the gym. And then you're also marveling at, Fucking Jaws, fucking 111 pounds jumping out the gym to and yamming on folks. You know what I mean? So, who's Jaws? Who's Jaws? Like, I don't know. In football, everybody does the comp thing. So, who's Jaws comp? I'd say Tyreek Hill, maybe. I feel like, really? I feel like, I feel like Tyreek Hill's a good fit for him. Like, you know, the, the life guy who can just, you know, maneuvering you, don't know, you know, how he's moving and it's just yeah. blowing past you. And then once, you know, all this shit comes together, it's too late. I feel like that's Tyreek and that's Jaws, too, to a degree. Man, I hadn't heard that one. Actually, I hadn't heard that one. So the first game today, you got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who, according to Twitter, are getting along because they uh, they connected on an alley oop. <laughs> Is no, that true? yeah, yeah? Rudy, Rudy, had, Rudy had after after being the first after being patient zero for COVID with the NBA. Rudy had the 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 first bucket of you know the reconvening of the NBA season. And I was like, oh, who the fuck scripted this bullshit? Then he hit the free throws at the end yeah. to make it like definitely a whole yeah, I, sentimental I was, scene. I, I was like, bro, I will never root for Rudy Gobert ever in my life. You can't, you can't force it. I can't. You can't even force this to happen. You can't. You can't. I, I mean, French people are already hard to sympathize <laughs> with. But, but then a, a, a French motherfucker with COVID who got, you know, 
but I don't I don't want to put that on him. COVID seems seemed inevitable. You know what no, I mean? No, Absolutely I mean he th- this was the fucked up draw for him. And it's kind of like the Lou Williams thing. Like Lou Williams did something kind of reckless. I know like no one's gonna be like really wagging their finger at Lou Williams because everybody you know knows what? I feel like with everything I'm hearing more, I absolutely believe he just went there to pick up some wings. I, I know. I believe that. I believe yeah. that. But he knew the optics of what it could <clears> be, <throat> you know, stopping, taking pictures with people. Like, that's that's the only thing is, like, he knew that probably it wouldn't be a good thing if it got back. But but, the, but did but, he know, though? Because Lou I don't Will, know. I, I, look, I'll put it like this. Lou Will, Lou Will is like a sneaky 35. Like, a lot of people, you know, he's, he, he's, he's got the baby face and, you know. Yeah. He's yeah. real energetic, and a lot of people think he's like 27, 28. Lou Will is like 35, bro. Like, oh, you, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I can completely understand. And Jack Harlow is like 21, 22. I can completely yeah. understand him taking a picture with Jack, like, yo, yo, this is my dog. We're just going to flick it up. Oh, and bro, not expecting that shit to go on. He feels just dry snitching like that on Lou Williams, the coolest guy in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think but, on that's the whole thing. Guy in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Lou cool as fuck. I think Jack Howard didn't know it was going to be that big of a deal because twenty-one year olds post every fucking day. Yeah, 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 but yeah. you got to realize that that the people you're taking flicks with are fucking thirty-three year olds with jobs and bosses and eyes yes. everywhere. You know? No. So for me, no. Okay. So here's the deal. I know, I know the I know how strong strip strip club chicken is. Like, I, so I, I did this whole fucking segment on it in the fall. Coincidentally, I almost pulled it out this week, but I don't know if it was insensitive. <laughs> but like, strip club chicken's elite, bro. Have you been to Tootsie's? I've never been. I've never been to any um, Atlanta strip club. Well, Tootsie's, Tootsie's. I think they got one in Atlanta, but the one you need to go to is in Miami. Now it's two floors. Yeah, I've never been. They have either. food, bro. That like you're just you could literally like people are geotagging their meals in there, like they're at a fucking Michelin star restaurant. And and you can't you're like your wife can't even get mad at you because you're like I'm at a restaurant okay like yeah. and I've heard about the wing, I've heard about the food at Magic City and it looked delicious somebody posted a picture I'm not mad at Lou Williams at all okay mm-hmm. at all but I am saying it's funny to see the reaction of how people hated Gobert and Lou everybody was like ah it's just Lou strip club chicken's hey, great <laughs> all that tells me is that Rudy Gobert like people don't like him. It's that simple. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it because I remember like when when he got his All Star selection, and you know, you know, people were talking about snub players. I was like, bro, like, like, don't don't talk about how Russ might not be deserving of this year. Let's talk about Rudy Gobert. I'm like, nobody wants to see screen assist in the in in the All Star game. Nobody wants to see rim protection in the All Star game. But no, um, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just he is um. I think what doesn't work for him is he's a center who's who plays, you know, grimy center basketball. He's back right. in the basket, you know. Yeah, that that's over. Track. Yeah, yeah, and, and nobody that's not sexy anymore. Like, like I heard Jalen Rose calling it like like today on um, Jalen Jacoby. He was talking about like the evolution of the positions, and he's like, everybody initiates offense. You know, it's so you there's no, no like everybody's a point guard. Like, so stop saying small ball. It's tall ball. Like that was his thing today. Right, um, right. And, you know, it's it's just interesting because like when I was an NBA fan, the reason I fucking fell in love with the Knicks, everything was just so one, two, three, four, five. You know, you could you could predict the shape and size of every dude on the court based on where they align. Yeah. And basketball is just different. And I took some years off and now I'm finding out as I watch. But I guess the question was for me. Because you watched the game, I didn't. I assume you watched this game. Mm-hmm. People were freaking out about Zion's minutes 
And, you know, the fact that in the last three minutes, and you talked about resting people and all that shit, he's sitting on the bench in a tight ball game, especially ex- exacerbated by the fact they're fucking in the hunt. They're like on the bubble right now. Yeah, no yeah. Pun um, you know, like I said, I- I'm all for, you know, taking care of you guys throughout the course of the season. But these last eight games, these are for playoff spots. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So 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 I didn't I didn't get that there at all. But I mean, I kind of do get it because I mean, how fucking far are the Pelicans gonna go if they get? You know what yeah. I mean? That's just gonna be extra miles in your guy for no fucking reason. So I can get that too. Yeah. No, they're not. They're they're not. They're definitely not beating the fucking Lakers. Absolutely not. So, um, and then game two where we got to we got serenaded by Reggie and Kevin. Uh, and and we saw I saw Charles again. I saw fucking Kenny and the whole gang. Shaq, Kevin Hart. Did you see Kevin Hart go on there after the game? I did, and chuckling his ass up. He's like, "You always wear them little shirts trying to look swole." <laughs> <laughs> like wear a shirt that fits. <laughs> Chuck did light him up, but then they ran out of gas, and then uh, Ernie had to pick it up and like move the segment along. It was like the dudes didn't know when to stop because yeah, yeah. <laughs> they their jokes for an entire quarantine. Yeah, it's 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 you know that's the thing when when you get people who don't know when the joking session is over. It's like, bro, we're just gonna keep going all night, and the joke's gonna get the trade jab, jab, jab for jab right, for jab. Yeah, right? and yeah. you know, Shaq. Shaq is a sneaky one of those guys too. Like oh, yeah. you have never seen someone get something off on Shaq and Shaq just laughs and takes it. No, he does Shaq, not. He does yeah, not. Shaq, Shaq will try to talk over the laughter of people laughing at him. Like, <laughs> okay, well, you don't remember back in 1993 uh, in Denver that, that weekend when, bro, nobody cares. You just got your ass lit up. Take that. Charge it to the game. Bro, and the, the most ironic, funny part is Shaq's the most accomplished, like, right. dude up there. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, bro, Shaq, Shaq. Lots of us think you're the greatest center. You're the goat, seen. bro. You're the goat. Bro, I promise you there's there's no reason to get mad at fucking, you know, but, Rick Smith's talking shit about you fucking 30 years later. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. But, like, I just felt like tonight sports, I don't know if I would have thought sports got back to normal if I watched the first game. I felt like it was fucking normal again. It, we even had Skip Bayless tweeting about LeBron's beard, so, I like, I know things are getting back to normal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Skip's just fucking hating for no reason. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I'm like, okay, we're back. You had people arguing on Twitter. I did check the timeline a little bit tonight. Uh, was LeBron off, or like, what did what'd you make of that? It's not a big deal um, in my eyes. Um, I, I think it was, I say this about LeBron, I think he had an off game. I don't think he was not prepared because Braun, everything is about preparation with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit just wasn't falling for him tonight, but the shit that needed to fall, fall, he had the game winner. Then he came down and fucking, you know, Locked up Kawhi and had Kawhi hand off a grenade to PG, and then he locked PG up for a terrible shot. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it literally won the game, got the bucket that won the game, and then locked up you know the Clips on the next possession. So yeah, so I was gonna say yeah. like if he if he had his off night, I mean, I'm looking up at one point and he has like 16, and I'm like, what? Like, yeah. and they still win. So you know, don't tell me they can't be competitive with these guys. I mean, as good as that Clippers roster is, I mean, it's just. But who's who's going to be the guy this year that's going to be uncomfortable first walking to the ice machine, running into LeBron in the hallway? Because if LeBron's not happy with you, <laughs> then you can go home to your mansion in the Hollywood Hills. That's uh, one thing. But like <laughs> when you meet this motherfucker at the ice machine every night, who's going to be that guy that that pisses LeBron off first this year? I feel, I feel like Pat Bev has some slick shit about um, you know when, when things were up in the air and if the season was going to resume. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat was like, "Well, ask LeBron. He the one. You know what he says goes. You yeah. know what I mean." And the thing is, I don't want to be a motherfucking name dropping motherfucker, but I talked to him 
like a week earlier on like some on I saw on your deal, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and he was like, bro, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm, not, I'm ready. But I get it, though. That's gamesmanship. You know, though, that's your rival. That's who you might probably going to meet in the conference finals. So get your digs in however you can. But, um, yeah. I'm, I'm How about a teammate? Because that's – I feel like that will happen before something. Oh, it's 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 it's, it's cool. Who's going to be in the doghouse first? Kuz, this is – Kuz has cool if Kuz doesn't show out now, yeah. he's he's out of here. Because the thing is, um, 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 Zach Levine said, Yo, I I would love to play with LeBron. Right. And the Bulls know and he's LeBron not, he's, was flirting yeah. back, bro. Right, right. And the Bulls know he's not resigning, right? Yeah. And the Bulls also know that you know the Lakers would give up Kuz to get him. Right. So the, that could absolutely be a deal that gets done if Kuz thinks it up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What's the worst possible finals that's actually plausible this year? Because, I mean, you do think of no, no teams, the ratings are because it's a captive audience, mm. but is it like it's got to have – is it Milwaukee or is it Toronto in the, in the East for this combination? I like, I like the way Milwaukee – I like the way Giannis plays. Let me put, that, let me put it that way. Um, yeah, it's got to be Toronto because there's no fucking – I mean, Siakam's awesome, but people don't think of him as a star. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody justifying how exciting they are. I think it was Kendrick Perkins today talking about Van Vliet. <laughs> I was like, bro, nobody, <laughs> nobody's watching them. Like, yeah. no disrespect to he's, but the star power. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think Toronto, um, Toronto Clips will be a really good finals, and I don't think anybody besides basketball that hearts will give a shit about it. You know, it's, yeah. it will be, it will be one of those matchups. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, yeah I, 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 mean, I wouldn't mind that. I guess if you had if Denver got in, you know, it, I'd enjoy it. But yeah, Toronto, Toronto. Ooh, I'm thinking of the worst one. Toronto, Utah, which is probably not going to happen, but oh that God. would be just. Yeah, I want. I don't want to see Utah after the first round. That's like that's yeah. where I'm at with Utah, dog. Like, uh huh. No, no. How about the uh, who's the first guy who's going to do the smoke detector at Disney this year? <laughs> Shit, uh, it's, it's probably gonna be J.R. Smith. Look, Bron has got J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters, JaVale McGee on the same team. Like the loudest wing of, of Disney dog. World of all time. Dog, that shit is gonna smell like a pack as soon as you walk in that motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, like, like I don't know how those guys are not gonna get high. But do you think J.R. is a out the window guy or towel under the door or is he does he hit the parking lot or is he just vaping? Yeah, I feel like J.R. is definitely a fucking towel under the door. Gotta be. And smoke a blunt. Like, like, like I feel like he, he would think that's enough precaution. I don't think he's <laughs> I don't think J.R. is super duper fucking reckless. I think he makes that the precautions he makes aren't. You know, precautionary enough. I think that's yeah, 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 yeah. And then that, that that option is not a fail safe for anybody yeah, listening. Not at all. Yeah, do um, not do that shit, bro. Like one time, I tripped it at my house, and the fire trucks came, and I I was upstairs taking a nap, and my wife glared at me like, you know, like you know, you just got the fucking fire trucks called. But I flipped that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I said What'd to my say? son, I said, I said it's pretty cool. The firemen came came to your house, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you what he say? He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, you didn't even need a fucking birthday party. I brought the fucking fire trucks to your house, buddy. I love <laughs> um, we were talking about doing going through the ugliest cars of all time. We were talking about uh, doing car superlatives, but mm. that's for another night. 
fun, it's, man. It was fun. It was yeah. a fucking Yeah, breeze. it's good to connect, man. Come back uh, another time. And again, one more time, let me plug the show and, and the new deal y'all got going on. Yes, uh, Jenkins and Jones. Jenkins spelled the Jenkins way, Jones spelled with a Z. You can check my Twitter page, Dragonfly Jones, Jones with a Z. My shit's always pinned. Sorry. It is always, it's working. It's always working. And that day always that working. there were no verified accounts, you were like the king of <laughs> Yeah, I firmly asserted myself as such a <laughs> my, my crown has since been usurped. Yo, you? and one more thing. Why isn't it Jones and Jenkins? Did y'all ever have this argument? I feel like Jenkins and Jones just holds better. That's Tomato, tomato, bro. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. We'll get you yeah, on another know. time. Uh, Jones and Jenkins, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> All right, Good bro. Show, man. Appreciate it, brother.